Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community and try to offer up advice on practical problems faced by coaches around the world. Hello and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Uh, in this edition, uh, I'm joined by Dan Wright and we're going to answer some questions from our monthly members webinar. Dan, how are you today? Very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Okay, so the question this week comes from Vincent and Vincent's question is, how do I teach self-organizational skills in the foundation ages? Okay, so I think we've got to break down what we mean by self-organization and then we can maybe talk about if there's any... Uh, necessary things we need to focus on these age groups. So over to you, what, what's your initial uh, answer to that question? Well, if, if we look at self-organization um, as a, like a, on like a zoomed out, from a zoomed out point of view, it's a process where some form of overall order uh, arises from local interactions between parts of an initially disordered system, okay? So we can observe this at lots of different levels. So we can observe it from cells in our bodies uh, right the way up to social structures and, and cultures. Uh, so the self-organization of skills is something that's happening all the time. Uh, so it's not necessarily something that we teach. It's something that we kind of get out of the way of uh, and we let happen. It's really like a, just a different perspective on how uh, kids learn and I suppose something we might talk about later is the difference between learning and teaching because okay. you can't necessarily teach self-organization you just create the context uh, for it to happen and there are some contexts that are going to be more beneficial um, I'm going to lead to a self a type of self-organization that we might want to see so I mean that would be the other perspective here is that everything is self-organized as it is uh, it just depends upon the, the principles or the constraints that something is self-organizing around. Um, so that's where um, we can see a game of football that looks like bees around honey. That's, that's self-organizing around some, uh, some key principles or some key intentions that the players have. Um, but then we can see a game of football that looks like Barcelona. Um, and okay. there's, you know, they've been through a process whereby uh, exposed to different principles uh, and different ways of organizing um, as a team. Okay, so I suppose to sort of narrow the question a bit, it would be to self-organize um, to reach a common goal as footballers, isn't it? It's, it's self-organizing to get a positive outcome. Um, so in the foundation age groups, you know, in the UK, that would be nines to 12. So it's, it's probably, you know, young players that are still learning the game. So what sort of principles or what sort of things would, would we be focusing on to, to achieve you know, a self-organization in a small-sided context? So these guys would be playing 5v5 or 7v7. What would that look like in those age groups? Well, it depends on the relationships between the players in a lot of ways. Like if they've played together um, for longer, they, they might, they're going to have established ways of, of playing or, or patterns of play, if you like. So... I think the, the, 
the way to really think about this is the, the video in the blog that's just gone out um, recently where we see a group of players clustering around the ball, like basically just attracted to the ball and the goal, not really aware of other people uh, on the pitch um, other than just like, are they bashing into them? Um, whereas if you introduce a, a goal or a task or, or like an intention for the team, which is can we move the ball from one side of the pitch to the other side before we score as a rule and then have it as an incentive by going, if you do it, it's worth three goals when you score. Then mm -hmm. suddenly the, the team and the players within the team start to move and behave in different ways because the task has changed. So essentially when we get out of the way as coaches and we don't say too much here, we can just let them self-organize around that challenge. Uh, and what we saw in the blog is we see different uh, patterns of play emerging and we see a style of football um, that is actually a lot more representative uh, of like a game uh, at a higher level. And what I mean there is the time and space between players. It looks yeah. a lot more like football. So that means opportunities to pass are more realistic. Opportunities to dribble are more realistic because it's not realistic when the ball comes to me and I have five defenders like clustered about two meters away from me just hacking at the ball and i have four teammates behind me about two meters away hacking at the ball that's not a realistic representation of football but it is like what a lot of kids spend time playing in so i suppose okay. yeah that that might be uh i might give yeah. some insight yeah no that that definitely gives some insight and that's in the you know the the blog uh, observe and adapt which you've released uh, recently a complex systems approach to coaching so i think there's maybe a little contradiction in the question then so where it says how do i teach it's maybe you know from my perspective it wouldn't be about teaching it'd be about um <clears throat> designing a session that's representative of the game or representative of the principle you're trying to teach these young players, you're trying to expose these young players to. I don't think it's a situation where you can go in and tell them they have to switch play and, and the benefits are X, Y, Z. You need to try and design you know, a task constraint in the session so that the players can see the benefit and then the principle will, will come out through the game. Is that is that a fair way of explaining it in a, in a football context? Yeah, that's a good way to explain it. I think the other thing to think about is that we set a challenge um, and we don't give too many answers or any answers and especially not at the start of the session. I think, um, I think it's an issue when we go, okay, today we're going to work on switching the ball. Um, and really you've just given the players the answer to the, to the challenge that you're going to set up as a coach. So then like, where's the problem solving for them? Um, and where's the challenge for them and are they making the you know the decisions and are they at the heart of the session or is your knowledge kind of at the heart of the session um, so I think that that can be a, a mistake that happens from time to time so rather than just setting up a session which is about you know scoring these goals and, and doing it based on on these interesting rules well you go and figure out how you do that um, because the beauty of football, I suppose, is that, that different players will see the practice differently. So rather than sort of prescribing, like you said, the answer is switching play. Yep. Um, and in your video blog, there's, there's actually different kids that switch the play differently. They pick the ball up and they dribble across the pitch into the other area, yep. which, which is an example of an answer. Maybe not the answer that you wanted as coaches, but it, it was still you know, a solution to the football problem, which, which that individual found. And so I suppose 
again linking this you know into a design or, or practice or structure it's it's uh, giving the, the kids opportunities to perform those actions and then them finding what works for them and what works for them as an individual and what, what might work for them you know in the context of the team to achieve the end goal you know of scoring a goal of winning a game um, through the task constraint that, that we've uh, sort of prescribed as coaches yep. um, I think that's 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 how I would sort of answer that question. Is there any uh, is there anything that you would focus differently on these age groups, nine to twelves, rather than on on older players? Is it is it you talked earlier about you know their the sort of training background and their training history and how often they've sort of uh, they've trained together or how often, how often they've played football? But is there any other any other things that you'd focus on sort of the nines to twelves compared to older kids? No, I think it just depends on the group that you have in front of you. I think the most important thing in understanding all of this is understanding the context. Um, so as we kind of talked about before, the kids are already self-organizing when they go and play. So when you watch them play, that's a representation of that group, um, within the club that it's in, within the, within the culture that it's in. Um, so the way they're, they're playing football or attempting to do it is certainly based on some ideas. They've got some values that they might, um, be more or less aware of. So. I think once you understand what that is in front of you, then from there, you can go and um, design a session that is really about opening the players up to more opportunities. So that when you're on the ball, you've got as many opportunities to pass, to dribble, to shoot, to whatever it is as possible. Um, so I think the first, as we talk about a lot and tend to bang on about, the first one is understanding like the context, the culture that you're in, or like, as we're starting to call it a little bit, the form of life, which is, is really like represented by the playing style. Yeah, the, the only thing that I might add there, and I'm not sure if it's specific to the age group, it might be, is kind of um, turning or, or focusing their attention on, on what went why what went well and why that happened. Mm. So with older players, if it was a switching play session, they would probably get it pretty quickly because they've been in that context of the practice before, they're quite experienced, they know the benefits of switching play. In a younger age group, you might have to just do you know a group debrief or highlight good practice or talk to individuals about you know affirming why that that worked and why it was good that would be, probably be my sort of uh, add on to what you've said there I think you've got to really sometimes highlight the, the success stories of you managed to do that and that and that equaled that um, but I probably wouldn't do it within the game I'd probably do it within breaks or you know at the end of a session or or you know when there's, there's opportunity to talk one-to-one -one. Um, just in terms of content that we've got on on the website we've got the blog that you've mentioned uh, with a really good video example. We've also got another blog by Mark Upton called Learning Dynamics Self-Organizing, uh, which is you know, talks about a similar sort of message. And then we've got the one by Marco Sullivan, Creating Self-Sufficient Learners. So loads and loads of content to, to jump on. We've obviously got all the session plans from, from Dave Wright to check out as well. So that wraps up this one, Jimmy. Yeah, that's really good. Cool. Good man. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.